We're going to be Acts 2, 42 through 47. If the passage sounds familiar, if you're like, wait a second, isn't that the exact same thing that we looked at last week? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, you're not confused, and it's not that David didn't do a great job preaching it, and so we're going to keep running it back until one of us gets it right. Uh, the next four weeks are all going to be spent in the same text of Scripture. Uh, what we want to do is build out for our Missio family, this little crew of disciples of Jesus, who really want to see disciples made, matured, and multiplied in Mesa and wherever else you scatter back to. Uh, we want us to be rooted not just in ideas about Jesus, but practicing the way of Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, I'm not even a follower of Jesus, uh, I'm so glad you're here because this is a chance for you to see what it is that the followers of Jesus give themselves to. Uh, and have historically for the last thousands of years. And so it's a great place to come in, ask questions, try to figure out, uh, hey, is this something that Jesus is awakening in my life? Is this something I want to give myself to? If you're a follower of Jesus and over the last season of COVID, you found yourself maybe distanced or detached from the church or the good news of Jesus and just kind of drifting, this is an invitation back into the way, the current of Jesus and the things that he has called us to be a part of in his world. Um, and that's what we're going to be doing. I want to start off here. Jesus was a teacher, according to a guy named Rodney Stark, but also your Bible, uh, and a miracle worker who spent nearly all of his brief ministry in the tiny and obscure providence of Galilee, often preaching to outdoor gatherings. A few listeners took up his invitation to follow him, and a dozen or so became his devoted disciples. But he was executed by the Romans, and when he was, his followers probably numbered no more than several hundred. Answers your question from last week, Mo. You asked, how many people were following Jesus around this time? And so here's an answer. It was probably around a few hundred. And the question that uh, Rodney Stark, he's a sociologist, uh, he's not a pastor, he's not a theologian, but he's looking at the world and the way that it's changed since the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. He asked this really, really key question. He says, how is it possible for this obscure Jewish sect to become the largest religion in the world? How is it that from a few people in a backwoods town who committed to a crucified Savior is the world literally forever changed? In another one of his books, he argues that Jesus and what he did in the church is the greatest sociological transformation the world has ever seen. Basically, this dude changed everything. How did that happen? What was it that the early church did that took it from a few hundred to just a few hundred years later, a few million people following the way of Jesus? And that's a lot of history. We're not going to get all into it, but hopefully that helps to spark some of these questions. Because remember, back then, they didn't have social media, right? There was no algorithm to get this message out to those who seemed like they might be on the spiritually curious side of things. Uh, they didn't have celebrity pastors who were really good sneakers. They didn't have bumper stickers and swag that came with true story symbols. They didn't have church buildings, websites, or TED Talks on how to have the best communication possible. They didn't even have a completed New Testament. They were misunderstood, mistreated, and some even martyred. But they loved, they blessed. They submitted to the Spirit and to one another. 
and the world was forever changed at, yes, a slow grassroots pace, but that multiplied out over the face of the earth as the implications of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection were brought to bear on everyday life. Uh, You see, for these first disciples, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus did not just change church attendance or church events, but it changed everything. And as they oriented all of life in full display to their neighbors, the Spirit breathed something beautiful into the world. It was nothing less than a call into a new way of being human together for the sake of the world. So, so far in Acts, David showed this last week. Uh, Our friend Dr. Luke has shown us that in the first little bit of the book of Acts, that a new king has come. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, but then he ascends up royally into the clouds, above it all. But he doesn't just say, all right, cool, now it's over, final act of the story, let's get on with it. But he sends out his disciples with a new power and a new presence, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so he says, here's, here's the Holy Spirit. Uh, actually, the followers of Jesus were told to not go out and do the things of Jesus until they got the Spirit of Jesus, or else they were going to make another mess that only Jesus could fix. So he says, hey, go to the upper room, pray, wait for me, I'm going to send the Spirit. Then the Spirit comes at a day we call Pentecost, right, with, with fire and power, and it floods into this upper room with a noise that comes so loud, all the neighbors come out and they're like, yo, what was that? And the followers of Jesus flood out in the streets and start announcing, good news, the kingdom of God is here. Good news, this is what it looks like. And the people looked at him and be like, yo, these dudes are wasted. Like, they are drunk." But this power and this present wasn't a new type of alcohol or a new vape pen for those religious folks. But what it was, was God's own spirit coming down. And Peter stands up and says, no, 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 it's not, we're not drunk as you might suppose. In fact, this is the, what the prophet Joel said would happen. God's spirit would be poured out and others would come into the family and the women and the men and the children would have visions and see dreams and the spirit would come in power and authority. And then he unpacks how all this took place in the story of Jesus, how Jesus was what all the Bible always pointed to. And that's his sermon, Peter's sermon, that he gives that day, is that he weaves together these threads, showing how Jesus is the hero of the story. And then he invites people to take up their role in that story. He says, I would love for you to come and be a part of that, to be brought into the kingdom of God, to be part of his new creation. And it says that that day, thousands of people believed that message and were baptized, right, into the water. We had a trouble, we had got one done, right, and that took like a whole service. Can you imagine thousands of people all coming at once to say, yes, yes, I now see myself in that story. I want to give my life to that Jesus. He is the one through whom, in whom, by whom, all of this makes sense. I don't know what all that means, but it's worth my entire life. That's Acts 2.41. And then we get to our text for today. And before I read this, just for uh, those of you that are like me, maybe you spent some time in church, and as soon as you hear Acts 2.42-47, you're like, that one. Why do pastors always go to that one to tell us what community looks like? That's like the highlight reel. Like, if you're into sports, uh, this is the top 10 plays, right? 
So if you watch SportsCenter, they still do this, and they've been doing this since I was a kid. In fact, I used to watch SportsCenter's top 10 like through every single loop, even though the planes never changed. But every half hour, you watch the same show over and over and over again. Um, so I'd watch the top 10 plays a lot. Uh, this is what people look in, and they're like, it doesn't matter that they played a whole game, right? You just watch Steph hit the three and then turn around, and it goes in, and you watch that play over and over again. It doesn't matter that a whole game took place. It doesn't matter that there were fights. Somebody might have broken an ankle. You don't see any of that. Uh, you just see, right, him hit the three, turn around, goes in, and everybody goes nuts. You get the highlight reels. If you're into Fixer Upper, that's a show. Um, if you're into that, this is the glory of like demo day where it's like, oh, look at it all. Let's wipe it all clean. And then you fast forward to the end of the show and you're like, oh, it's all put back together. What you never see from, what are the names? Chip and Joanna. Um, there you go. Preach. Uh, no, uh, Chip and Joanna. What you never see is how many times they probably actually get in fights. And what you never see is how often the family that's having their house remodeled has to work extra hours to pay off their loan to Chip and Joanna, right? Like where they're sweating and working it out in their job in order to pay this off. All you see is the nice house. And get this, the house is nice. Like it's a beautiful house. Or maybe something we can look at. Like this is Instagram, right? This is a real photo of a real event that really took place. Uh, Michael Davi and I were talking, they just got back from a trip to Utah, which if you follow them on Instagram, you're like, man, that looks amazing. Like they had these pack rafts, they went out into Lake Powell, then went into these canyons, um, and then they were able to camp and hike in there. Didn't see another soul the whole time, just him and his wife having this glorious trip where they went into the backcountry. And he goes, yo, Instagram's great. You don't see any of the fights. You don't hear any of the arguments. You don't feel any of the bugs. You're not hungry like we were. You're not tired like we were. You just see amazing photos. You think, this is amazing. Now catch this. Just because things were rough at different times doesn't mean that the pictures of beauty still aren't true. They're not fabricated. The top 10 play really did happen. There's just a whole lot more of the game that was played. The remodel really does look that beautiful. It just come at a much greater cost than what you ever thought it did. Or those pictures of the trip are absolutely gorgeous and stunning, but there was a lot of effort that went in behind the scenes that you'll never, ever see. And that's what I want us to come into this text with that. Let this fuel your imagination, not your cynicism. Uh, think through how not just somebody else could be this to me, but how can I step into this kind of community and present this view of Jesus and his people to the world? So after those thousands of people were rescued and brought into the family, baptized, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. That, that's the statement setting out what they did. And then we're going to get a little bit more texture. What did that look like? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jesus, we as your uh, people come together tonight and ask that your spirit would speak to us. Would you stir up our imaginations where needed? Convict us where that's needed? Uh, but would we together grasp or taste a little bit more of what kingdom life looks like because we've spent this time with you here tonight? 
Uh, for those that are considering whether or not it's a good choice to follow you, would you melt their hearts and show them it is, that it's the best possible way to live? Uh, for those that are following you right now and feeling maybe a little bit wounded from community, uh, would you speak words of healing and your spirit restore what's broken? Uh, there's such an imperfect picture of the church that we always experience, but your spirit can heal, and so we ask for that. And God, for Missio de Mesa as a whole, would we be able to orient ourselves in this story, be inspired to imagination, and then as a result, act differently when we leave? We love you, and we're so glad to be here with you. Amen. We're going to be pulling out a few different practices over time uh, the next few weeks. Um, and so we'll just be pulling out individual practices, things that we do in light of what we read here, things that God's people have done for a really long time. And so today we're going to look at being a devoted community. Those first four things that the uh, author Luke writes down that the church, this is what they did. As they responded to the gospel of a new king, found themselves in a new story, were empowered with God himself and his spirit to do the work, this is the kind of life and the kind of activity that they had. And so we're going to look at first just that devoted idea. What does it look like to be devoted? And uh, I had, just so you guys know, I had like four different sermons to teach. The first one uh, was really, really good in syllables, and they all like rhymed, and it was like all these wording that you may or may not remember like in a week. And I was like, man, why am I making it so complicated? Like I had spent a lot of time coming up with a very complicated talk that would have woven together and been absolutely beautiful. Don't get it wrong. But there's literally one line in this text that I'm looking at for most of the time, and it actually says what they did. Like, like it says, if we're going to be the people of God, let this be the sort of lives we live and then see what God does with that. What if we as the people of God gave ourselves over to these things? And the first thing I want us to just see is it says they devoted themselves. Uh, catch this. This wasn't a theology PhDs. This wasn't celebrity pastors. This wasn't even those that had been leading Missio communities for 15 years that did this. These people were brand new believers. Like one day you've got a few hundred. The next day you have a few thousand. What in the world do we do? This is what they gave themselves over to. That word devoted, uh, we often get it way, way trickier than it ever needs to be. And so I'm going to give three images, and then you guys are going to get a chance to talk among yourself. You're going to get to pick one, uh, whichever one speaks to you, uh, or whichever one somebody else speaks first about. Uh, the first thing, and you guys have had to deal with this a lot, but you're going to have to keep dealing with it because we're uh, undefeated in our football league, and we're the champions now. Uh, the first, we're about to be the champions, right, Caden? Yep, what? Um, I've been coaching football, and it's been, God's been teaching me so much through it, but we'll have a whole different lesson here. You move over, I'll do it. I don't want to hit Trent in the head. Can you catch it? Oh, man, let's see. Got it. Everybody clap for my man. Oh, you coming back? You can come back. All right, there we go. Football, there we are. First thing, ask this question. If you want to be a player, hey, that was a lot of pressure, and you nailed it. Well done. I like it. This will be the Sunday that stays in his head. I got a football. Um, the first one, football. So if you're going to be devoted as a football player, not just to a team, but to a, as a player, what are some things that you'd have to do? Second thing, if you were going to be a drummer, um, what are some things that you would have to do? Think through it. The practices of being devoted as a drummer. 
And then the third one, because all of us are health conscious and we're really good about that sort of stuff. Uh, I won't throw the kettlebell, but there's one up here. Um, the kettlebell, but like I won't, I won't throw that one. That'd be rough for everybody. Uh, but if you wanted to be devoted to fitness, like you say, I want to get healthy, what are some of the practices that you would do? Uh, first, football. Second, drummer. Third, uh, health and fitness. If that was something you wanted to give yourself over to, uh, Pick one of them, not all three, uh, but just turn to a few people around you. What are some of the practices you would do if you were going to devote yourself to that particular way of life? All right, bring it back, bring it back. Uh, you have a few, we have a few minutes, so I'm not going to rush through this one. So uh, who chose uh, the kettlebell, the lovely health fitness? Anybody? Anybody choose? Great. No, that's a good answer. Um, what did you guys come up with? If you were to devote yourselves, and anybody else can answer this too because it's, you guys are pretty smart. Um, but what, you can go first. What would you say? What are some things you devote yourself to? Um, well, you have to prioritize it. Yeah, prioritize it. What would that look like? Give me an example. Uh huh. Setting aside time to work out. Absolutely. Seems super basic, but very, very true. If you've ever tried to do a workout and not plan on the time you're going to do it, that does not happen. What else do you consider when you're a health, fitness, lifestyle? What else do you consider? What goes into it? Yeah, you increase your weight as you go along. Uh, so you don't, the place where you come in, if you come in on a lovely... Uh, I don't even know what this one is, uh, 20, 20 pound, and you're swinging this bad boy around, within a few, like a year, maybe you'd be up a pound, right? Or maybe 10, depending on what it is, but probably shouldn't be the same exact one, um, though I guess there's ways to make it really, really be heavier, let's be honest. Uh, what else? Anybody else have another thing or two? An accountability partner. Yeah, on the days you weren't motivated. Or, I mean, the other reality is, like, there's also going to be, are you, if you, who here has ever tried to work out regularly? Who else has failed at said workout regularly sometime, at some point in your life? Not today, obviously, because we're all, you know, there. But, like, at some point in our life. Uh, one of the biggest detriments to that is that it's not just what you do, but uh, how you eat, right? Your diet matters if you're trying to get healthy. So let me ask this question. If these were to come towards you, right, like is this something that actually would build into your lifestyle when you're like, I just want, I mean, I'm working on that health and fitness, and so this is a practice of the people of health and fitness would be eating entire sleeves of Oreos, yes or no? No, it's good news is it was hypothetical, so you guys get it, Mo Ketch. Well, she's gluten-free, they're not gluten-free, they can share, they picked it, sorry guys. Yeah, yeah now, now everybody was the health and fitness people. Um, anybody choose the drummer? Anybody drummer? I'm not throwing drumsticks at you. Um, anybody have a drummer? Yeah, what are some of the things, that, if you want to be practicing as a people of drumming, what would you do? Start with the basics and then let that foundation grow. Absolutely. I'm not a drummer, so I can't even make stuff up. I think they're called paradiddles, right? Is that a thing? Where you learn the beats, the basic beats that you do? Uh, you probably need some sort of drumming uh, utensil, a drumstick instrument. That's what it is, not a utensil. Um, 
you'd probably need a drum kit. Or uh, Dave Grohl, if you, I read his book recently, and the way that he learned uh, to play the drums is he set up his pillows in his room uh, in the shape of a drum kit, and that's how he learned to play, is he wailed on his pillows. And he says when the moment when he advanced to go using drum kits, he broke so many heads on the drum kit because he was used to wailing on his pillows, and the drum kits didn't actually hold up because he hit them so hard. Um, but I guess he learned how to do it and made quite the career out of it anyway. Um, yeah, so that sort of thing. How about football? Basic things. What goes into it? Caden. You'd have to practice? Teamwork? Learn how to work as a team? Ooh, effort? We got keywords. Can you tell this? Uh, what else? Do you have to learn what a football is? Uh, our first season, just so you guys know, when I was coaching, kids didn't know how to hike, uh, and they weren't entirely sure which direction to go on the field. Uh, and so there was very basic things that you started with that you then compound, like this is how you hike. Uh, this is the direction you want to go. One of the lessons for Caden was you can actually run faster than the people that are chasing you. You don't have to stay with them. Like if you're faster, you can run faster. That's part of the game because he would just hang out kind of in the pack and cruise along. I'm like, bro, you're faster than all those people. Uh, so I started paying him to grab flags, um, and that paid off. So uh, all these things here, let me say it this way. We all have the same basic flow that we learn the basic things and then we expound on them is how we practice in any discipline in life. For some reason, when it comes to living as a community of Jesus, we take an entirely different approach and don't act like it's the same thing. Uh, anything that we want to grow on in life, anything that takes practice, anything that is going to be growth-oriented, anything that starts in one place and grows towards another one, whether it's an individual or a community, is going to follow the same principle. That we take these basic things and we don't have to make them really, really confusing. But it's the simple, reproducible, transferable things that happen time and time again that work themselves into our being. If that was Joaquin's first time to catch a football, that would have busted him in the mouth. And if it was his first time to throw a football, that TV would be gone. But because he's played before, he has that repetition built in. As you do any of these things, the repetition builds it down deeper. Uh, hear this. The reason that the Jesus community was so potent is that they gave themselves over to a few simple things, lived them out together with intensity and frequency, and that affected the entire areas where they lived. Uh, the idea is devoted, isn't complex. If you circle it in your Bible, all it means is to give yourself entirely over to. That's it, right? Your entire being, to be all in, to push yourself, to say, this is what I want to orient all of my life practices around. Not just an idea, but catch this, fam, actually in practice, the things that he's going to lay out weren't just good ideas or good advice or new methodologies. This was actually how they lived. Uh, I came across this a few years ago, and um, I don't know who it was, so I can't give credit to it, but it's not me. So that counts for something, right? Uh, the guy communicating, uh, it was a guy, that's all I know, uh, communicating, said, hey, I found, just so you guys know, they're always finding new gospels in the Bible, like the gospel of Thomas, the Gnostics gospels, the gospel of Mary, all these different gospels they say they found. Uh, and then he goes, and then they recently found the gospel of America. 
And in uh, preferences 2, 42 through 47, this is what it read. It says, they studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. Catch this. This is not in your Bible. That's the asterisk before you freak out. This is not actually in your Bible. Uh, they studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They fellowshiped when they could fit it around their other commitments. They prayed when they needed something and got coffee every now and then. They had little to no expectations for signs and wonders in their midst. They sometimes talked about generosity but kept all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all the people in their city, and occasionally someone was randomly saved. Uh, isn't that a far less compelling vision than what we read in Acts? Can you see the difference that intensity and frequency makes even as we peer into the lives of others? That as people give themselves over to something with intensity and frequency, it's able to cast a much clearer vision of what this new community was meant to look like. The ways of Jesus didn't just permeate their minds, but they permeated their calendars and their wallets and who was at their table. The goal wasn't ever to extract people out of their neighborhoods and their homes and the people they hung out with, but to infuse the good news story of Jesus back into those very same areas. And so what are the practices? We'll just take them super quick. The first thing that we see is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves uh, not to one celebrity apostle. That's not what it's communicating. Find your one leader and then go after them. But remember, these people didn't have the whole New Testament yet. And so they were coming in saying, what does it mean that Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose again? How does that shape all of my life? They were asking questions of how do we live in light of what the Bible says to be true? in light of who Jesus is and all that he's done, in light of this spirit that I now have inside of me, guiding me, shaping my mind, giving me new thoughts, giving me energy, transforming my family, how do I live? And they would gather together regularly to hear, this is what this looks like. Here's the good news of Jesus. Here's what it looks like. And we're like, well, how do we know what the apostles were teaching? We have their letters. Like, that's what we read. That's Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians. That's the sort of stuff they were teaching. Here's what's true. Now, here's how that shapes all of your life. And because all of life is a really big thing, they had to devote themselves to that regularly. They didn't want to just know more about Jesus or know more about Christianity or know more about what this idea was, but they wanted to know him and what it looked like to live as his and how they could hear his voice and live in the world in a way that he was inviting them to be fully human as a new community. That's the good news of the gospel. And they were trying to figure it out. So they devoted, gave themselves regularly to the teaching so they could wrestle through that. And it was not in environments like this. This is the exception. It was table to table, living room to living room, back porch to back porch, rooftop. Actually, that's where their porches were. On the roof, they would hang out and talk about these things day in and day out, the text tells us. Uh, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, this means both eating regularly together. We'll read that in just a little bit. They shared meals regularly with each other. And so the question, it's, it's not rocket science, right? Like, it's like, if I want to play football, I have to throw a lot of football so I figure out what it's like. 
if I want to be a part of this community, I ate a lot of meals. One actually sounds more exciting than the other. Like, what does it look like for us to shape not only our individual family unit around our meals, but a larger community where time and space and nutrition is shared? Creativity is spent at the table. But it was also a word that they used, a phrase they used to talk about communion, this table. Because in that, they would reenact the good news story of Jesus regularly. They would remember who Jesus was and what he had done, his life, his death, the new covenant made by his blood, which made them now a people. Because catch this, if you now had 3,000 brand new believers shoving into houses all across Jerusalem, you were going to have to remember that it was Jesus who held you together and not something else. Because that's only exciting for like two days. And then you're like, I remember I didn't like you before we both became Christians. Like small town, think of that way. They lived right next to these people. When we take communion together, the reason we have this at every single gathering, unless we intentionally don't, is because we want to do the same thing for us together as a community. That when we come to this table, we rehearse the good news events again. And it does something when it's not just our minds engaging with that, but our physical bodies. We want to remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and we're brought into one new family. We want to remember that there are men and women and children who aren't yet at the table, and Jesus is inviting them, and so we go out to invite them. We go to where people are to tell them the good news so that they can gather at the table together. They devoted themselves to remembering and rehearsing this good news story and doing something simple like sharing meals regularly. The next thing, it says they devoted themselves and to fellowship. Uh, that word fellowship, if you've been around churches, you've probably heard a pastor sometime break it down for you. Uh, if you haven't, though, I get to be that guy for you. It's this word koinonia, which is deeply shared life. It's not just occasionally shared coffee, though that's good, too. I really like coffee. But what just took place at passing the peace most likely is not what this text is talking about. But it's talking about a way of life where life is intertwined with others a fabric that produced a beautiful tapestry of what kingdom community could look like. It's going to be parsed out as this text goes on. We'll get a little bit better view of what that is next week. But this wasn't just occasional moments that they happened to be in the same space, and they said, oh, what's up? You go to my church. This was a way of life where needs and wants and desires and sin was confessed and people were forgiven and those who didn't have were given too and those who had plenty gave some of that away so that others could have where people live lives that were deeply meaningfully shared together and you can't halfway do that and so it says they devoted themselves to that way of life uh, we have a lot of boundaries and a lot of difficulties with this particular one uh, we live in the loneliest documented era of history. Uh, generation Z is categorically on the books as the loneliest generation ever. 
uh, probably because other generations didn't have a chance to actually track that stat, but in the rise of social media, the rise of the way that we can look into other people's lives, the rise of the way that families break apart, the rise of the way that kids leave parents, parents leave kids, parents leave each other, more than any other moment in time, people say they are experiencing vast amounts of loneliness. And we also live in the most narcissistic moment in time. Uh, all these things that we get to live in. Other people lived in like the most violent time. Other people had like the most famine time. We get the loneliest and the most narcissistic. Uh, narcissism, it's, you guys know the myth that there's this guy named Narcissus who loved himself. He loved his reflection. He was so beautiful. As people would fall for him, he would disdain them and be like, man, you guys are so dumb. Like, I'm just the most beautiful one. And then one day he caught a glimpse of himself when he was taking a drink of water. He saw himself over a pool of water and he fell in love with himself so much so that he starved to death while he sat at the edge of the pond because he just couldn't look away. So if you've ever heard that word, that's the myth that that comes from. There's model retellings of that story that often have an iPhone laid out and people peering over it at themselves to say that we very often do the same thing. Sociologists, again, have done tons of work into this, and they would say that back in the day, like in the 30s and 40s, um, not of the 2000s, um, Caden was just shocked the other day. We were watching a movie, and I was like, hey, dude, it's an old movie. You sure you want to watch it? And he goes, when was it made? 2015? I was like, no, 1989. And he's like, what? That's a time? Uh, I'm talking about like way back in the day, like the 90s and 30s and 40s. 20% uh, of the people would say that they were very important to world events. Like if you asked a group of people, they'd say, hey, people should consider me when making trade deals or deciding wars or anything like that. They should decide that. Um, and so people that were in their college years in that space, they would ask them that question, how important are you to world events? And like 20% would say, hey, I'm really important which is cool. If you do that today in a sociology class, their numbers are in the 90s of people who say, hey, I'm really, really important to world events. More than any other time, we have people that are very lonely and also very idealized views of themselves. And this is always gonna make a shared life difficult, but it doesn't mean that we should aspire to it any less. Because if that is the dark view, then the beauty of what the gospel produces will be even more brilliant against that dark tapestry. One of the ways uh, that people talk about this is to say that now our relationships, rather than being a fabric, are Velcro. We're very used to sticking ourselves to friendships, and then when it comes time to move away, we just unstick ourselves and try sticking ourselves to another group of friends. Uh, and people do this all across the valley with churches all the time. Like It's like, oh, cool, I don't like what that pastor said. Let me go put myself in with another community. Or there's a bigger house like that's only 25 minutes away, and I'll never see my friends, but let me just unstick, and then I'll stick in with some new people there. And the, the imagery goes just like your Velcro goes. If you keep doing that over time, it gets less and less sticky because the attachments are even less secure. And so what would it look like for the Christian community to be a community that wasn't made up of Velcro relationships, but deeply meaningful fabrics of lives that are woven together? Last thing they're devoted to, it's just kind of thrown on there, and prayer. Uh, Missio, if we would grow in anything over the next year, I would love for all four of these, because we're not supposed to pick favorites, 
but I think that before any movement of God ever happens in a place, that prayer precedes it. So would we be people who grew in our devotion to prayer? Like this is what we were known for. Uh, this relationship that isn't just talking to God, but listening to him. Uh, conversations with the creator, talking with, not just talking to, learning how to hear the voice of God and then live our lives in light of that. There is no missionary activity, no missional activity that will ever be sustained without a life of prayer to go with it. All throughout history, this has preceded the movement of God in any place has been a movement of prayer. I would love for those that are gifted in this area in our church to start to dream up what would it look like for us to be a people who give ourselves over to these conversations with the creator. Uh, catch it, each of these different things that they were devoted to were all in the context of community. They gave themselves over to the teaching of the apostles. It wasn't just one person who really liked to listen to podcasts. It was the crew coming together to hear from God's word together. Uh, they gave themselves over to these meals, the breaking of bread. It wasn't just one woman or one man who really liked to host and everybody came in their house. It was scattered throughout the city that many people did this. This was their way of life. They gave themselves over to fellowship. It wasn't just that one person who was really gifted in relationships, but everybody was working through their mess so that they could come to community and have a gift to offer. They gave themselves over to prayer. And in that, that beautiful depiction of what the kingdom community looks like came out of it. Uh, as we walk through these things, just four shifts that I think for us need to take place if we're going to become these kind of people. Uh, the first is from distracted to devoted. Uh, we also, luckily enough, live in the most distracted age. We have so much available to us at any given moment. I love that devotion means to fully give yourself over to something. And then if you look up the word distracted, it literally means the thing that keeps you from giving yourself over to anything. Uh, the fact that distraction, right? Like if you're looking and say, hey, traction is the ability to move forward and grow in things. Distraction means that you can't do that. You have distraction, two words together, the thing that keeps you from moving forward and growing. Uh, many of us keep that thing in our pocket. Many of us watch that thing every single evening instead of wrestling through questions, having conversations. Uh, for the first time ever, I've had to change my illustration here. Uh, Netflix used to say, we will never go down in subscribers. Uh, the only competition we have is sleep. That was their statement for like a decade. Uh, last month, they hit their price threshold and tanked on all their subscribers, and people said, I'm not doing this anymore. But media threatens and calls us in. We have more opportunities to be in entertained than people used to have. And so we have to wield those tools wisely and live devoted, not distracted. A shift from preferences to practices. These practices that were just described, if you were to give yourself over to them for a year, I can almost guarantee that you would grow in joy in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, some of you come from a pretty maybe legalistic background where some of these things were forced on you. And so you're reacting to that saying, like, don't tell me to read my Bible and spend time there or spend time praying or spend time with other Christians or that I have to gather together. Like, you can't tell me to do those things. I've had those put on me and they didn't feel right. 
But I, I would say for us together as a whole body, the odds are that we are not in danger of becoming legalistic to these things, but walking away from them entirely and only dabbling in them when we so see fit. And so if we become and start oriented to, like, man, this church tells everybody that they need to pray and read their Bible and gather together, like, and it's becoming, we'll probably have a season where that be in the middle sweet spot. And if we start migrating to the other spot, then I'll preach those sermons too. But I think now for us, we would do well to ask the questions, what does it look like for us to move from just our preferences and different things to committing to the same set of practices together, to shaping our weeks our months, and even our calendar year in sharing practices, not just based on what my preference of style is any given moment. The next one's a big one, but I can make it really simple. From immediate hits to eschatological hope. From immediate hits to coming into community in any given environment, whether that's your DNA group or your MC, your Missio community, or even a Sunday gathering, walking in and saying, like, all right, so hit me. Hit me. All right, cool, my life's changed. Now I walk out. But instead of expecting that to happen in any given moment, to live with a hope like the first church did, that, hey, this is going to be a process, but one day Jesus will return to make it new. Like, this doesn't get perfected until he returns. And so we have a hope that there's still an act coming in the story that gives us a ton of grace to deal with each other in the meantime. It means that we act as if the kingdom of God will fully come one day. And so we practice those things out now imperfect as we are. Yes, it is going to be hard. But the brilliance again of what can be seen when a community commits to maybe imperfectly, probably imperfectly living out these practices together will be far more brilliant than if we just say, hey, it's not worth it. I'm going to do my own thing, be my individual, isolated, on my own, kind of doing whatever I want. I promise you the way of Jesus is a much more full way of life. And then the last thing is committing or shifting from, hey, someday that sounds like a good idea. Like someday I should probably do that. Like someday I should probably develop some sort of plan for myself to grow in my understanding of what the gospel teaches. Like someday I should probably make a plan to grow in relationship with other believers. Or someday I should probably grow in learning how to pray. I would love to see us take a shift that as the Spirit convicts us of one of those, it's not just someday, but it's today. Oh, let me do that now. Oh, let me reach out to my friend now. I got a friend who I know prays, and they're really, they understand, they can lead to God. Let me learn what that looks like. What if these were the first four things that we taught people when they came into the faith? Hey, here's how we follow Jesus and we, we put ourselves under his story. Hey, here's what it looks like to throw parties and share meals and break bread. Hey, here's what it looks like to pray. And here's what it looks like to live in authentic relationships with one another. Like, we'll get to the other stuff, but that was ground level. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That's the beauty. That's what the invitation is. That's what the practices of devotion are as we look at them today. And so like last week, we sent out a tool. Everyone who's on the text thread got it. Or if you looked at any of our social media, it's redemptive. You can use it well. Um, this is also part of what we want to do is not just give trainings and ideas about things, but to give tools that go with them. And this particular one, boom, is around the concept or the practice of being devoted. 
And so what it'll look like is exactly what you see, only with a few less typos, because I still have to clear those up. But it's an invitation, a reminder of who we are as community. Uh, the hope is that whether you're a part of Missy or not, that this is something you look at and you say, hey, what would it look like if I, I spent some time with this, reflected on this text, and then answered some of these questions? Um, there's a reminder of that. There's something, here's what we should expect. And then this particular tool is going to give you a chance to reflect on a few things. Uh, first, to look at your life and your daily liturgy. What are the things you already do and have devoted yourselves to whether or not you know it? Starting with when you wake up, you guys are smart, you see that. Ending with when you fall asleep. So let's play this game just so you guys kind of see what I'm saying. Like, so I wake up and what's the first, you guys can be honest, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? What do you do, Owen? Eat breakfast. Hey, grown-ups, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? What was that? Check my phone. Write that down. Wake up. Check my phone. Uh, not just to shut the alarm off. Like, this is, think through it at that level, right? I check my phone. All right, cool. And then I wake up, and I'm like, oh, I need to get some coffee. Oh, then I get coffee. And then I maybe, maybe I read my Bible. Like, we, we, we do these things awesome. Like, we're not all like, I don't do any of this, but do them consciously. Then I read my Bible. What would happen if I flipped the space where I started in my phone with the time that I spent in God's word and reoriented that with that shape my day. Just think about these things, list them out, and then talk about this with somebody else. Oh, here's the things that I'm already devoted to that I didn't know. You might find that you spend more time being uh, ministered to by the gospel of some other influence, that maybe your prophets are actually political not the prophets of the Bible, right? Maybe you might find that your community is actually a network of relationships on Netflix instead of actual relationships. Like, just with eyes open, ask these questions. How do I actually spend my day? And let the Spirit speak to you about that. Is there some things that you can swap out for some of these practices of devotion to see what Jesus would do? And then look at your week. Uh, a lot of our weeks follow some sort of consistent flow. Now there's chaos in the middle of it. I get it. We've got five kids. I fully understand not every day goes as you expect. But generally, what does this look like? Oh, what does this tell me about the things that I'm devoted to? This isn't to heap guilt on anybody. It's just to say, oh, we are actually already doing things in our practice. And then sit with that. See what the Spirit would show you. Share that with others. What are the things you noticed that you didn't notice when you were doing this? Um, so it's a tool to help us to reflect. And then there's, because I did say prayer was the one I wanted us to focus on, and I wrote the guide, um, there's a prayer check-in. And so here's a chance just to go through, and uh, you might not like all the descriptors. I didn't like all the descriptors, but it's not my preference. It's a practice, and so I went with it anyway. Uh, but there's different things that you could just click on and say, oh, like here's where I see. When I pray, I experience God's delight and pleasure over in me as his child. And I was like, weak. I actually don't experience that very much. Like that's not my normal experience. I talk to him. I listen to him. I don't experience that. Um, there are a number of non-Christians that I pray regularly for. Oh, that's absolutely true. And again, it's just a snapshot for us to say, oh, how is our prayer life? Um, this is not, again, in the Bible, but it's a tool to help us reflect what can we grow in? What are parts of prayer that we could see ourselves maturing in? And then what would it look like if we did that together as a community? And that's always, that's going to be our invitation, to continue to grow in these practices. Uh, these ones, the ones of devotion. And it's as we do this that we hope that we are formed by God together for the sake of the world. Would you guys pray with me? Mm -hmm.